Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 18. We're getting close to the end, Revelation 18. As you flip there, I want to start with a story. There was once a village on the shores of a great river. It was a beautiful river. It was full of fish. It was clean, good drinking waters, fun to swim in, beautiful to hang out by, just a wonderful river. There's just one problem with this river. It was infested with crocodiles. There are tons of crocodiles in the river, and the crocodiles like to eat people. Now, you'd think in a situation like this that the people of the village would avoid the river at all costs. That's what I would do if I lived there. But this particular river was so beautiful, it was so convenient, it was so much fun to hang out near this river, that the people of this village decided it was worth it. The river had so much to offer that the occasional death or dismemberment was a small price to pay for the fun and convenience and beauty of the river. Now imagine you were to go visit that village, and as you go, you see people going to the river to get water. You see kids swimming in the river. You see people standing on the shore fishing or just walking along and admiring the view. And you see crocodiles poking their heads above the water, opening their jaws and devouring some of those people. And nobody says anything about it. What would you do? What would you do? Wouldn't you run as close to the water as you could and shout as loud as you could to everyone, come out of the water before it's too late? There are crocodiles that are going to get you. Wouldn't you run from house to house in the village and beg people, plead with them, say, don't go in the water. I don't care how beautiful it is. It's going to destroy you. Isn't that what you'd do if you'd go to a village where they insist on going in crocodile-infested waters? I think that's what I would do. And in a sense, that's what I want to do today as we study Revelation 18. It's what John, the Apostle John, the author of Revelation, is, is doing in Revelation 18. He's saying this world in which we live is like that beautiful river. It has so much to offer. It looks so good, and everybody else is swimming in it. But just below the surface, it is full of man-eating crocodiles that will destroy you. So come out. Come out before it's too late. That's the message of Revelation 18. It's a longer chapter. I'm going to read the whole thing for us this morning and then comment on it a little bit. I'll comment on a little bit of it. Um, But there's a couple things to remember as I'm reading this so that you can make sense of it as I I read through. First of all, it talks a lot about Babylon in this chapter. And Babylon, you remember if you've been here, is a symbol of this sinful world. It's a symbol of the, the things of this world that are trying to seduce us away from Jesus. And this chapter is all about how Babylon, how the sinful world system is going to be destroyed. And so as we read through this, keep that in mind, and then we'll comment on a few verses. So Revelation 18, the fall of Babylon. 
After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear for torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gained wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud, alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she's been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints of all who have been slain on earth. This is the the word of the Lord. There's a lot here, as always. 
But I want to focus our attention on one verse. One verse in this chapter that is addressed specifically to us, to believers in Jesus. One verse that tells us what we're supposed to do in light of the coming destruction of Babylon. The verse is verse 4. As we focus on it, I want to answer three questions. The last one, which we will not get to today. But the questions are pretty simple. What are we supposed to do? Why should we do it? And how do we do it? The first two we're going to cover today, and next week we devote the whole week to the how, because this is a complicated issue for real life. So this week, just what are we supposed to do, and why are we supposed to do it? So what does this verse say? Verse 4. Heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. This is the basic command Verse 4, come out of her, my people. What must we do? We must come out from the world. We must come out from the world. God is speaking to his people in this verse, to every believer, to every follower of Jesus. And he says, come out of her, my people. Now the her that he's referring to is Babylon, which is a symbol of the world. We went over, went over this pretty much the whole sermon last, last time, so I'm not going to go over everything again, but just in summary, uh, Babylon, historically, was the capital city of an evil empire. It was a capital city of Babylon, a sinful city, capital of a sinful empire. And throughout the Bible, this historic city of Babylon was used symbolically to refer to all sinful societies that are opposed to God. Uh, so it's what we often call the world. Not the world in the sense of the physical created world, but the world in the sense of the, uh, the sinful systems that are dominated by Satan. Uh, the things in this world that Satan uses to lure us away from Jesus, to seduce us into following him. And so God is saying here, our calling is to come out from her, to come out from the world and to leave it behind. Not that we physically have to leave this planet but that we need to change the way that we live so that we are not the same as everyone else who is still following Satan. The world has a way of doing things. There are are ways of doing things that are considered normal, values that everyone else holds, things that everyone else does. And God is saying to you and to me that we are supposed to come out from that, to leave it behind, to be different. We're not supposed to be like everyone else. We aren't supposed to value the same things, to participate in the same things, to act the same way. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to come out from the world. We used to swim in the river with everybody else. We were just like everybody else. And we would swim in the river. We would enjoy the river. We had good friends who were there with us. We lost some good friends. We were damaged ourselves, but what else are you going to do? We swim in the river. That's, that's what we do. But then God said, no, here's something else that you can do. You can get out of the river. You can go against the crowd. You can say, I don't care about what everyone else is doing. There is not just one way to live your life. I can choose to leave that behind and get out of the water. That's a picture of what God wants us to do. He's not calling us to to go to the moon. 
But he's saying here in this world where we live, we need to leave Babylon behind. We need to leave the sinful world behind and not participate in the same things everyone else does. Even though they're still swimming, we get out of the water. That's what we're supposed to do, come out of the world. But why? Why would we do that? Being different is not fun. Uh, being different is, is weird. If I learned anything in junior high, it was I, I don't want to be different. You want to blend in. You want to be like everybody else. So we better have some good reasons why God wants us to be different. And he gives us two good reasons in verse 4. So why do we not, uh, why do we not stay in the world? Why do we come out from the world? He says in verse 4, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. So the first reason that we come out of the world is so that we don't participate in the sins of the world. God wants us to come out of the world so that we don't do the same evil things that the world does. Now, I think everybody's tracking with me so far. This is the point where you might want to stop paying attention. I'll just tell you. Because this is the point where it's going to start getting uncomfortable. Because the rest of this chapter, God highlights one sin in particular that he wants us to leave behind, that he doesn't want us to do. And it's a sin that we like to ignore or minimize, that we think of as not a big deal. At the very least, it's it's not as bad as sex or murder. In fact, it's, it's a sin that the Bible says here and in other passages is one of the worst sins that there is. It's one sin that leads to all sorts of other sins. And the really bad news is that our whole society is built on this sin. So if you're not ready for that, you might want to just stop paying attention. Okay? When we do communion, you can just check back in. It's like nothing ever happened. Okay? But if you're ready for it, here's, here's what it is. The sin that we have to avoid at all costs is the pursuit of luxury pursuit of luxury. Other places in the Bible, it's known by other names. It's called the love of money or greed, materialism, covetousness. But here in this passage, it's called the pursuit of luxury, so we'll stick with that. Now, where am I getting this? It's all over in the chapter. It's the main thing that Babylon has done wrong. Let's just start in verse 3. Verse 3 describes the reason why God is finally judging Babylon. It says this, For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And I've got to remember in context the symbolism that's being used here. Babylon has been symbolized in the previous chapter as a prostitute. So when it talks here about being, uh, committing immorality with her, the emphasis is not on literal sexual immorality. He's saying symbolically you, you have, you've been seduced by the prostitute. But then right after that in verse 3, he gives the actual uh, content of that seduction. What have they actually done? It says the merchants of earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. See, the sin, the real sin, when you get down to the brass tacks, the literal sin is that they've gotten rich through the luxury of this world system. Again, in verse 5, as God is describing the sins of Babylon, 
says, her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Okay, well, what are these sins? What has she done? Verse 7, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her like measure of torment and mourning. What was the great sin of Babylon? She glorified herself and lived in luxury. That's a great sin. See this really clearly in verse 11, where we get this list of all the things that the merchants of earth were selling and getting rich from. Remember when I read just all those things, that kind of laundry list of all these things they were selling? All these things in this list are luxury goods. That's what they're selling. In John's day, as he was writing the book of Revelation, uh, these are the exact things that the elite in Roman society were consuming in vast quantities in their pursuit of luxury. So at the beginning of the list in in verse 12, we see these precious metals and jewels, gold, silver, jewels, and obviously those are still luxury goods. They were then, they are now. And then you get expensive clothing, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth. Um, This fine linen apparently was so good and so rare that in today's dollars, a tunic made of the fine linen would cost $280,000. That is some fine linen. $280,000 for a tunic. And then you've got these expensive building materials. It says scented wood, uh, ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. The word that's translated in, in mine as scented wood is literally citron wood. It's a special wood from North Africa that at that time was known for beautiful grain patterns. It was highly prized. They made tables out of them with ivory legs. And there's records of a couple of these tables being purchased for the equivalent today of $2.5 million and $5 million for table. And you got the spices and perfumes, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense. These are all things that would have come from far away and therefore would have been very expensive. And then there's the food items listed there, wine and oil and so on. These would not have been that expensive, but the elites ate so much food and through such vast banquets that these too were luxury items. There was one emperor of Rome who didn't last long as an emperor, but his name was Vitellius. His nickname was The Glutton. And he has been recorded as spending the equivalent of $20 million a year on food for banquets. Okay? So this list here is a list of luxury goods. Oh, and then at the end, uh, the, the, uh, what I would call labor-saving devices. Cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves. The rich could afford this, the, the animals to do work for them, buying people to do work for them, chariots to move them around. So the picture we get as we look at this list of goods is of a society that is consumed with a lust for luxury. This is not an ordinary shopping list. This is not you know, eggs and milk and bread. This is a list of things like diamonds and gold chains and Cadillac Escalades. Okay, it's not a shopping list. It's like what you need to make a rap video. Okay, it's luxury goods. And the big problem that's being highlighted here is, is that the world is obsessed with luxury. It's not that we're buying things that we need. It's the devil is constantly whispering, more, more, 
More, yeah, that's a nice table, but what if you had one made of citron wood? Well, that guy got one for 2.5. You can get one for 5. We want more jewelry, nicer clothes, fancier furniture, the latest gadgets. The big sin of the world that's being called out in chapter 18 is the sin of the pursuit of luxury. And God is calling us to come out from that, to not participate in that sin. Now, I use the word luxury because that's what's in this chapter, but I recognize that using the word luxury is very dangerous because we all have a definition of luxury in our heads. And the definition of luxury is anything someone richer than me spends their money on. Right? That's what a luxury is. I just buy stuff that's reasonable. I just buy necessities. I don't buy. This is not for me. Right? Luxury, that's for the people that are richer than me. But consider, and this is something I've pointed out before, if you make more than $32,000 a year, you are in the top 1% richest people on the planet. If you make more than $32,000 a year, you are a top 1%er in the world. So the chances are you are caught in this sin. I am caught in the sin, and we don't even know it. In fact, it's a measure of how caught up we are in the sin that we have trouble seeing what's so sinful about it. What's wrong with having nice things? If we pay attention to the passage, we see some reasons why it's a sin. What's so sinful about pursuing luxury? Well, there's at least three things I see here. First, pursuing luxury keeps you from pursuing Jesus. Pursuing luxury keeps you from pursuing Jesus. That's a big one. Jesus had a lot to say about this. At one place, he said, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus said. Pursuing Jesus and pursuing luxury are mutually exclusive. It's like you're standing on the 50-yard line of a football field, and God's at one end zone, and money and luxury in the other one. You can't run to both of them at the same time. To run towards one is to run farther from the other. To run towards this one is to run farther from that one. To love God and to pursue luxury are mutually exclusive. And that's what we see in verse 7. As we see Babylon personified, it says, She glorified herself and lived in luxury. And what does she say? She says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. Mourning I shall never see. She doesn't glorify God. She doesn't give thanks for the good things that she has. She glorifies herself. And she says, because I have all of this stuff, I'm in charge of the world. Nobody can stop me. Uh, I will never see mourning. Nothing bad could ever happen to me because I have all this stuff. That's what wealth and luxury do. It makes you self-reliant. It makes you selfish. It makes you think you don't need God. It can even make you think that maybe you are God. That is, you're in control. That's why Jesus says in another place, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Camel, you know, like, you've seen a camel, right? (laughs) These big things, two humps, maybe one hump, depending on the kind. Large, you've seen needles, you ever try to thread a needle? Just thread, the stuff that's designed to go in a needle, it's hard enough to get that in there, right? 
Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples draw the right conclusion from that, and they say, who then can be saved? And Jesus says it is impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. But riches, why is it hard? Why is it hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because riches have this blinding aspect. They steal our affections away from God. The more luxuries we have, the more comfortable we are with our stuff, the less we feel our need for God. And one of the reasons why pursuing luxury is so sinful is that it keeps you from pursuing Jesus. You're running in completely the wrong direction. Pursuing luxury is also sinful, though, because it exploits Natural resources, we see that in our passage as well. As an example, look at the list of things that people were buying. Did you notice ivory was on that list? In verse 12. In the Roman Empire, ivory was something that people wanted. The rich had to have it. And the merchants realized that they could make lots of money by selling ivory. So what did they do? They killed all the elephants. Everybody wanted, they want a lot of ivory, so let's kill a lot of elephants. And as a result, the Syrian elephants went extinct. There used to be elephants in Syria. There's not elephants in Syria anymore. Why? Because the Romans loved luxury, and they had to have their ivory. What about this purple cloth? You know, just think, why is purple so expensive? Okay, it's not expensive for us now because we have artificial dyes, and it's easy to make. But back then, the only way you could get purple dye was from a, a little uh, snail and if you crush the snail, you got a little bit of an enzyme or something from that snail, and, and you could make a purple dye out of that. But in order to make enough purple dye, even just to dye the hem of one garment, you had to crush 12,000 snails. Okay. The rich don't care. They can afford it. The merchants don't care because they're making money doing it. And the elephants and the snails can't complain because they're dead. And they're animals. But the lust for luxury led to a destruction of their environment. And that happened in the ancient world. It can happen today. It does happen today. One of the side effects of being in a, a world that's consumed with the pursuit of more and more stuff is that in our pursuit of luxury, we damage God's good creation. And sometimes we do it to the point that we can never get back what we have lost. Now, of course, some things and some practices are more damaging than others. But everything that we buy, everything we consume has an environmental cost. And I usually don't think about that. You know, we don't think about that when you go to Costco and fill up the cart, or you go to Amazon and you click more things into your cart. But every single thing we buy has an environmental impact. Everything that you buy is made of something that had to come from somewhere. It took energy that had to come from somewhere. It created waste and will create waste that has to go somewhere. Every single thing has an environmental cost. But I don't think about that when I'm buying something usually. I don't think that it has an environmental cost. I don't ask whether, uh, whether the cost of making this thing and disposing of this thing is, is, is worth what I'm getting out of it. The only cost I consider is a little sticker on the box, right? Can I afford this? Sometimes I don't even consider that. It's just, do I want it? And, and, and now I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying that 
everything we buy is wrong. This is why we need a whole week next week to unpack the, the implications of this. But what I am saying is, I can't just ask, can I afford to buy this thing? But I also have to ask, can the planet afford for me to buy this thing? And part of the sin of our world is that as a society, we are so obsessed with luxury and pursuing luxury that we are willing to ignore the environmental costs of our action on a large scale. We harvest raw materials from the earth. We transform them into useless crap that we transport and market and sell and then throw away, all because we have to have more stuff. That is not a sustainable model. And yet we're so sure that the newest luxury will bring happiness that we're willing to destroy God's good creation to get it. And that's one reason why it's a terrible sin. But there's, there's another one, too, and this is worse. Pursuing luxury is sinful because it exploits people. Did you notice what was at the end of verse 13 as the, the list of luxury goods that people were buying? Slaves. Slaves. Human lives. To live in luxury, the Romans had to have slaves. Their way of life could not exist if they did not exploit people to make it possible. This is another place where maybe you want to check out and say, well, I I don't have slaves. I hope you don't have slaves. Um, And yet, that doesn't mean that the luxuries we buy and we consume weren't made by slaves or people who are a little better than slaves. Sweatshops still exist. They're still a key part of the garment industry around the world. Child labor is still a part of the global supply chain. Companies with extensive PR departments and marketing teams like to make us think that they have this problem licked, but they don't. It is slaves or near slaves that are still the engine, that have always been the engine, that make it possible for some people to enjoy luxuries on a massive scale. When you start to think about it, it's obvious. Why, why is it possible for us to buy so much cheap crap from China? You know, in this list here, the stuff that came from China in this list was really expensive because China was so far away. China's still really far away. Why is it less expensive for us to buy stuff made in China than stuff that's made here? It's got to travel across the ocean. Same resources go into making it because people are being exploited. It's easier to exploit people in China and Guatemala and Bangladesh and Vietnam because there's looser labor laws. People are willing to work for pennies. And the merchants of the earth have taken advantage of this. They have set up shop in China and Guatemala and Bangladesh and they have grown exceedingly rich by exploiting our lust for luxuries and the people to supply the goods to satisfy those lusts. Even today, luxuries are still made possible by the exploitation of people. And we could talk a lot more about this, but I think we all see the point. You know, whatever you call it, whether it's the pursuit of luxury or materialism or greed, it's not a harmless sin. Sometimes we talk about it as if the greatest sin is that we end up with some credit card debt and too much garbage in our garage. But the real sin of this is that we are... It is stealing people's hearts from God. 
It is destroying God's good creation, sometimes beyond repair. And it is exploiting vulnerable people. It's a great sin. And that is why God says, to bring it back to verse 4, that is why he says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. You don't want to be a part of this. And God says, the second reason, and this is brief, but he says, lest you share in her plagues. God calls us to come out from the world so that we don't share in the sins, but also so that we don't share in the punishment that the world deserves. Because of these great evils, the punishment of the world will be great. And that's the whole point of this chapter. That's what it is. It's about the fall of Babylon. Satan has been promising forever that, that you can find satisfaction and life if you will just pursue luxury. It doesn't matter the cost to you or to other people. But it's a lie. Luxuries never satisfy. Riches don't last. And in the end, God will judge the world. And God will judge everyone who participated in the sins of the world and lived for luxury instead of him. That's the truth. And because that's the truth, God says to his people, to you and to me, come out. Come out. Everyone else is still swimming in the river. And it looks like fun. But below the surface, there are crocodiles waiting to eat you. So get out now before it's too late. Now, next week, I call this part one. Next week, we're going to spend the whole sermon unpacking this more because the big question is, how do we do this? Do we have to become Amish? Do we have to live off the grid, grow our own food, make our own clothes? What, what is, you know, how do we do this? Okay, so we'll spend all week, uh, all time next week talking about that. But here's, here's where you start. Here's the, clo- here's the quick answer. Start with the gospel. Start with the gospel. First of all, just be honest with yourself and see your sin. See your sin. You've done this. I've done this. We deserve judgment. We have pursued luxury at the expense of others, at the expense of this creation, at the expense of our relationship with God. Let's not dance around it. Let's not say this is the rich people. This is us. This is, we've done this. See your sin. But then see your Savior. Jesus died on the cross so we could be saved from all our sins, including this one. We deserve great wrath for this. Jesus took great wrath for us on the cross that we would be forgiven. So see your sin and see your Savior. And then, as your vision is filled with the sufficiency of Jesus, he will free your heart from the desire for more junk. Or even, that's probably too, too soft. He'll, he'll free your desire for more quality goods. <laughs> he'll free your desire from this lust for luxury. So see your sin, repent of your sin, see your Savior, and keep on seeing your Savior, and he will free your heart from the desire for these things. We'll say more next Sunday on this, but now let's, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. I am blown away by my complicity in this great evil. Help us. Help us. We are sorry. We don't know how to change. We don't know how to live. Would you please give us guidance this week, to even just, just to see areas in our lives in which we have participated in this evil? 
Liberate us from our lust for luxury. Satisfy us with you. Help us to be content with food, a place to live, people who love us. And may we be generous as well. In Jesus' name, amen.